Welcome to the YA Cafe, where we share conversations about books for teachers, readers, and caffeine addicts everywhere. On today's episode, we'll be talking about These Witches Don't Burn by Isabel Sterling. Grab a mug of your favorite beverage, friends, and let's talk books. Welcome, y'all. As always, our first segment will be spoiler-free, and so you can stick around even if you haven't checked out the new novel yet. I'm Amanda Thrasher. And I'm Danielle Hall, an 8th and ninth grade English teacher, and I blog at teachnouvelle.com. And our guest today is author and editor Jessica Spotswood. Hi, Jess. Hi. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. We have been longtime fans. Yep, yep. Super fans. We call you Jay Spots in this household. (laughs) It's true. You have an abbreviated name. Thank you. Um, And for listeners who don't know, You've written historical fantasy like The Cahill Witch Chronicles and contemporary novels like Wild Swans and The Last Summer of the Garrett Girls. And you also work for the DC Public Library. So you and your coworkers are like the target audience for our podcast. Yay! So your books often feature rich and complex sister relationships. And I know from the internet that you are an eldest sister yourself. How has that informed your writing? Like, have you taken personality traits from your sisters and, like, stuck them in your books? And, like, have they noticed? And what was their reaction? This is a dicey question, Danielle. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I have definitely stolen not so much aspects of their personalities, but of the relationships between us. Uh, most notably for the Cahill Witch Chronicle books, which is a little bit dicey because, uh, <laughs> slight spoiler alert that there is a prophecy that one of the three sisters will die in the trilogy and so my sisters kept being like which one of us dies wow Um, (laughs) yeah no pressure um but I definitely I'm sort of fascinated by the mix of love and sibling rivalry between siblings um that sort of fierce love and protectiveness but also the competition and the way that we define ourselves both in relation to and in opposition to our siblings. So that's really cool. And then you kind of circled back on that theme for your short story in the Toil and Trouble anthology, which you edited, and we featured on this podcast here. I still remember that story. Like, it's so creepy. Oh, thank you. The project that I'm working on right now, uh, which isn't under contract yet, but I'm actually writing something related to that short story. It's set in the same world with the same family curse. I'm into murderous witches, apparently. It's like my thing. I love it. (laughs) I just loved Born Wicked. Like, the whole series is great. I just remember specifically, like, reading Born Wicked and just feeling, like, transported. Like, this is how I want to write. I loved every part of that book. I'm, like, literally grinning from ear to ear that you are on this podcast right now because I, I loved it so much thank you that means a lot to me that book is i mean the whole trilogy is very special to me me too (laughs) (laughs) so we have featured two of your short story anthologies on the show before and these are ones that you edited you didn't write all the short stories in them but you have short stories in them the radical element and toil and trouble and there are some rock star writers in those anthologies, including yourself. Like, what is it like to wrangle a ton of talented people? It is amazing. And it is also a lot of work. 
you know, I'll be honest, there's just a ton of emails. <laughs> so it definitely requires some organizational skills. I love making lists. So I really enjoy that part of it. And I just, I'm so inspired by working with these authors whose work I admire. I mean, that's a huge way that I determined who to work with, honestly, is like, whose short story am I dying to read myself as a reader? And so it's been amazing to get to work with all of the authors that I really love and admire and respect. Well, they were really great to read. And we have discovered authors whose books we have returned to on this podcast from those anthologies. Who we may not have found otherwise. So and That makes me so happy. That's definitely like a goal for me of the anthologies is to introduce readers to new authors. And then hopefully, like you just said, you will go and pick up their solo work. Right. And for students, that's so important, right? Because like a short story is such a short time investment, particularly for a reluctant reader. And then they can find someone that they really love and go find a full length novel. And Toil and Trouble, of course, features stories about witchy women, some of them murderous, like you said. <laughs> um, so we invited you here to talk about witchy women with These Witches Don't Burn. So before we start, just one more question, like as a thematic lead in, what draws you, Jessica Spotswood, to explore magical women? Ooh, I think for me, it's, you know, magic as metaphor for power, for power that women have but that is feared that people want to take away oh god this just feels too timely right now <laughs> with all the conversations that have been going on politically this week but yeah I think it's definitely magic as women's power particularly awesome and with that these witches don't burn Hannah Walsh wants to get through her summer breakup but sharing a coven with her ex-girlfriend Veronica doesn't make life easy Hannah is an elemental witch. She's able to control the four elements through magic. But she's still underage and not fully trained, meaning no one believes her when a dangerous blood witch comes to town. She thinks it's a blood witch. She's pretty sure. <laughs> Working with Veronica is the only way to convince her family of the threat, but it's hard to focus on the dangers facing them when Veronica keeps trying to hook back up. In spite of the temptation, Hannah tries to focus on the most important questions. Who is the new blood witch? Does someone want to hurt her and her family? And does the pretty new girl in town maybe want to make out a little? We'll see. <laughs> nerd. <laughs> You're a nerd. You clearly were setting up a we'll see. I didn't know, but apparently. Dot, dot, All right. dot. Dot, dot, dot. Here we go. Danielle, what'd you think? I thought this was a fun mystery. There were some dark parts, but like also funny parts so this book definitely had it all like it had a little bit of everything it kept you guessing and you know standalone novel for the win with series potential with <laughs> that's the whole dream with series potential it definitely yes. has series potential what did you think jess i really enjoyed it i thought it had a lot of really great representation i loved the friendship between hannah and her best friend Gemma. The straight BF. <laughs> yes. And I loved it. It's just like this really strong, positive female friendship. You know, it didn't have an element of rivalry or distrust. It was just really nicely done. And I also really enjoyed the mystery. I'm a great mystery reader because I never know who did it. <laughs> um, I'm really, really bad at guessing. But I thought this mystery was handled really well. Like, I suspected everyone. In turn, yes, 
that's one of the things I wrote that I really loved. I loved how the suspects were so numerous and all so possible. Yeah. I mean, sometimes even though I'm not very good at mysteries, you can sort of tell, you know, it's like the things are a little heavily foreshadowed. And I didn't find that in this case. There were, like you said, there were just so many potential suspects that I was like, it could be anyone. And that really added to the sense of the high stakes. Yeah, I agree. And I think that having that sort of equal opportunity suspicion did two great things. One, because we're set in Salem, it's set up for this parallel, like inverted witch hunt, where everyone who's not a witch is a suspect for Hannah, which I enjoyed. And it also made the pacing pretty perfect in this book, I thought. I did not think there were any slow parts. Did you guys agree? Or Yeah, I mean, I thought like... I have never revised a novel, but I have seen you revise a novel and like it's hard work, but I could tell here that the revision was so good and so fierce because like every scene mattered. Yeah, I agree. I thought the pacing was really strong. Um, I think I went into the novel expecting it to be a bit lighter mm-hmm. of a mystery and then it got really dark. Yeah. Uh, I know we're in the no spoilers section. So I won't say much more than that, but I was surprised by just how high the stakes were. I find it interesting that both of y'all have said that because I, like, clearly, objectively, you're right, but I never felt that this book got very dark. Like, I read this and I thought, this is really fun, lighthearted. You said the basically words a beach. blood witch right in the summary. Well, yeah, but blood just like witch. blood magic. I like mean, blood you know. bending. I mean. It's right there. But it's all in how it's handled. It's all in the touch. Like, it's such a light touch, I think, that it's uh, it just works really well. I didn't think that it felt like it got dark. Well, you're wrong, and we'll talk about that in the spoiler well, section. <laughs> I also wanted to say, pertaining to the setting of Salem, I loved that she worked in a kitschy magic shop. Kitschy magic shop. Like, I love that too. Yeah. It actually reminded me of the bookstore from the last summer of the Garrett Girls. Oh, cool. It reminded me a little bit of the shop in Buffy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought. I guess I, I knew we were going to talk to you about this episode. So I was just like, you had it in your head already. I had it in my head. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Buffy. And, and like the fact that the tourists buy all this kitschy magical stuff and like Hannah can almost tell from what people are buying, whether or not serious magic will ensue. Mm-hmm. I thought that was cool. Well, and she basically said, like, if they're doing serious magic, they're probably not doing it here. Like, <laughs> this place is overpriced. But I really liked yeah. the magic in this book. I liked the overlay of the elemental magic that Hannah used with, like, the more grounded in this reality's Wiccan magic. Mm-hmm. And, like, how they both layered on each other with different kinds of power. I thought it was really nicely done. Uh, Jess, one thing you mentioned was how you liked the representation in this book. And so, of course, we have to mention it. This is such a great queer community. And I loved it because it wasn't just like you had a queer main character surrounded by all of their straight accepting friends. It was like you have this queer character and this queer character and this old queer couple that's their sample for long lasting lesbian love. And it was oh, yeah, just. Yeah, I love the old queer couple. They I love were a good old queer couple. <laughs> So I really, I liked how it felt like a natural community that just happened to have a lot of queer people in it, because I feel like that is pretty close to our lives. Yep. It's not like we're queers in a vacuum. <laughs> <laughs> Super oh, fun 
body image. Not like a vacuum like space. I'm imagining like a vacuum cleaner. (laughs) But I really liked how they had all of these different people who had different experiences with queerness and family and it felt very effortlessly queer. And a trans character. And a trans character, yeah. So just a whole lot of openness and people living their lives. Yes, and being queer was not the plot. Thank goodness. Another thing that happens very early in the book is where Hannah gets picked up by a detective for something that happens at this party. And the detective starts questioning her and she like kind of answers some questions, kind of doesn't. The detective is strong arming her or whatever. It is very important for everyone to know you never have to talk to the police without a lawyer present. It does not benefit you most of the time to talk to the police without a lawyer present. They cannot force you to talk to them without a lawyer present. If you think that there's any chance that you might be getting charged with something, don't talk to the police without a lawyer present. Ever. (laughs) Especially if your father's the DA. (laughs) And public service announcement. And with that, friends, we'll take our first break. When we come back, we'll share about things we like latte. Then we'll return to our discussion of these witches don't burn and dig a little deeper. Hey friends, are you looking for an easy way to support this podcast? Order our book choices through the affiliate link in our show notes. You'll be supporting our authors and making sure we get a small kickback to keep our show going. Next up, we'll be discussing Tell Me How You Really Feel by Amina Mae Safi, a contemporary sapphic romance with cover art that will give you all the feels. If you'd like to help us keep bringing you great content, order through the link in our show notes. Happy reading! Welcome back, y'all. It's time for Things We Like a Latte. Danielle, what's your brew of choice this week? Well, Amanda. Well done, (laughs) y'all. So you know this already, but we started playing Rhyme, which is a puzzle adventure game. You like things latte so quickly. We haven't played much of this game. I'm glad that you like it enough to already label it. But Oh, my goodness. I totally know it's for me. It is an open world, like on an island puzzle adventure game. There are ruins and you don't know why they're ruined. And you just get to run around. And we already have a fox friend. Like what is not to like? It's true. It's good to have a fox friend. So I know that this game is for me. All right. Thanks, Danielle. How about you, Jess? What's your brew of choice? Last week I read... We Set the Dark on Fire by Taylor Kinsia, which yeah. I hear that you guys are also big fans of. And I just thought it was a wonderful debut. It has fantastic world building. It's brilliantly political. There's a spoony female-female romance, great pacing, very twisty plot. I just loved it a lot. Yeah, and she is one of the authors we found from Toil and Trouble. Oh, I'm so happy. I love her story. We knew very early on that we wanted it to be the one to open the anthology because it is just so beautiful and bittersweet and oh just lovely so for our listeners who haven't read toil and trouble uh you definitely should and taylor's short story in that anthology is about a contemporary witch who does star chart readings over instagram how about you amanda what's your brew of choice 
So I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do because I have spent most of this week on the internet with people who are as mad about Game of Thrones as I am. So it's been a lot of memes. I want to give a special shout out to the Glenn Weldon recaps of Game of Thrones, which are just so perfect. He is so funny. So if you're angry about Game of Thrones, you should read those. But that's not what I'm going to like a latte this week because I was just outside studying. And I noticed that there were uh, some cops at the abandoned house across the street. And so I was thinking, okay, they're there looking for the previous owner or whatever, because it's been abandoned for a long time. And I noticed that Crookshanks was like in the yard across the street and there were a bunch of cop cars coming in and out. And I was like, well, I should go get our stupid cat because he's old and blind. It's probably going to run in front of cars. He knows how to use the dog door now. Yeah. So he's a free man. So I go across the street to collect the cat. (laughs) And this cop comes up to me and he goes, is this your cat? And I was like, yes. <laughs> and he was like, do you know what happened? And I was like, I do not. And he said, three kids broke into this house. And when we came into the house to confront them, your cat ran in behind us. <laughs> I was like, what? So our cat is a SWAT cat. He is a SWAT cat. He is not afraid to go charging in and then charging right back out. He's a Gryffindor. He's a Gryffindor, apparently. Yeah. So that's going to be what I like a latte. (laughs) My idiot cat running into a police raid. (laughs) Oh, Crookshanks. Oh, Crookshanks. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll return to our discussion on These Witches Don't Burn. The rest of the show will contain spoilers, so if you're leaving us here, keep in touch on Instagram and Twitter at YA Cafe Podcast. We'll be back. Welcome back, y'all, to the YA Cafe. We're continuing our discussion on These Witches Don't Burn by Isabel Sterling. If you haven't read this yet, we want to warn you again that this segment will contain spoilers. Spoilers! And witches. I mean, it's right in the title. It's the whole thing. (laughs) There's no pirates, just (laughs) witches. So, now we can talk about how we thought everybody did it, who actually did it, and why this was a darker book than Amanda thought it was. Okay, so... Who was your first suspect? My first suspect was the detective. Detective yes. Archer, yeah. He definitely seemed shady at first. Yeah, something was going on with him. I thought it was Morgan, the new girl. <gasps> no, not the new girl. I know. But she just arrived in town. Like, So you did technically wind up correct when the new girl, Morgan, did wind up being a blood witch. But hashtag not all blood witches. <laughs> She was not like a regular blood witch. She was like a cool blood witch. (laughs) So one of the aspects of this book that I really liked was it was clear that Hannah and Veronica had had a bad breakup, but not your everyday normal teenage bad breakup, like something to do with witches. And what it ends up being, so there's like this little mini mystery, which is like, what happened in New York, right? And... In New York, they ran into a blood witch, the bad kind. And I just, I loved that layer of suspense. So Jess, who was your suspect? The detective. The detective? Yeah. Good choice. The detective was my early suspect because he seemed so intense when he was questioning her. Yeah. But really, I suspected everyone. I suspected Cal briefly since he had just moved to town. I suspected Morgan briefly. 
I really had no idea who did it. I thought about Cal for like half a second, but then I was like, no, I trust this author enough that the only trans character in the book is not the villain. <laughs> that was actually how I figured that he was not the villain. Right. Because <laughs> I figured it would be too problematic for him to be the villain. Right. But... Like if she's doing all these other things right, like this is probably not. <laughs> right. Yeah. So Cal was also new in town and the detective was new in town. And so... I liked that there was a reason to be suspicious of the detective and Cal, even though it wasn't that they were, you know, the big bad. Yeah, so they wind up being part of this big council, which is council, because there's always a council, and they're here to oversee, or they're there to catch the witch hunter. That's what it was, right? Yes, mm -hmm. so they arrived in town yeah. to be like, there's a witch hunter here, and... So, you know, you think Morgan's the witch hunter, but then, no, she's a witch. I never thought Morgan was the witch hunter. I'm just saying. Maybe some of our listeners did. Well, maybe they did. <laughs> <laughs> so the other thing we wanted to talk about in this section was that Hannah breaks all the rules and she confides in Gemma. Jess, what did you think about that? I thought it was that she confided in her and Gemma was completely supportive. Even though Hannah's magic had made them the target of this witch hunter, and Gemma gets hurt in an accident, um, she didn't blame her for it, and it didn't cause a lot of friendship drama. Like, Hannah confides in her, and it's a huge deal that she confided in her, and, and Gemma just supports her, which was really nice to see in a female friendship. Yeah, man, I forgot about that accident, but Gemma's a dancer, and then in the accident, which ends up, you know, not being an accident, it was the witch hunter trying to kill them, she breaks her leg. Like, it destroys her dancing ability, and she still, like, wasn't resentful of Hannah. Yeah, I think that it's set up really nicely for Gemma to become more a part of the world in future books, because towards the end, she's like, wait, is Wicca, like, a real thing? Yes. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like, I feel like she was, she connected that and was like, oh, okay, this is my in. Because at first when she heard, she was super supportive and she clearly wasn't going to turn her back on Hannah for this. But she was like, this is garbage. Like, why am I the muggle? I don't want to be the muggle. Like, <laughs> I love that. That seemed like such a realistic reaction. Yeah. Like, you get to do this cool magic. Oh, I have a question. How did you guys feel about Veronica, the ex? I liked her. I mean, like, obviously I didn't like her because she's such an eye-roll character, but I liked that she's, like, just this really needy, lousy person who's like, no, but I love you so much, though. Like, why would you do this to me? And then she's, like, banging somebody else on the side. So I did not like Veronica at any point. I don't know. Like, I guess I, I took Hannah at her word from the very beginning that Veronica broke her heart and the breakup was terrible and every time she had to work with Veronica, like when she's on her date with Morgan and she runs out to help Veronica, like I can understand the Gryffindor impulse to do that. But I was like, but you didn't even like explain to Morgan. You didn't even do anything. You didn't even try to make up a story. Like but then they had a great grand gesture. Yeah. I mean, obviously I didn't like Veronica. Like she's not a good person, but I think she's an interesting character. Jess, what did you think about Veronica? I thought she was terrible, and I sort of liked that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just I appreciated that she was allowed to be unlikable. 
I maybe wish that we had seen a little bit more of what originally drew Hannah to her mm. besides just convenience. That's a good point. You know, but sometimes when you're young, convenience does play a big part in it. You know, like who is around that you find attractive and that you have some things in common with. We talked about why we thought it was dark. Why some of us thought it was particularly dark. I think one of the things that made me feel the novel was darker than I originally anticipated was because it's contemporary paranormal rather than fantasy. And I feel like in fantasy, we expect characters to die um, for there to be a lot of terrible tragedy going on because that's the, the stakes and scope of the world. And in the contemporary book, I don't know, I just felt like it hit me extra hard when her father dies. That hit me really hard. I was not expecting him to actually die. And I think that's why it felt quite dark. That combined with the fact that her her house burns down. She loses everything, um, which I think sets it up really, really nicely for her to pursue revenge and have a lot of anger and uh, desire for vengeance if there is a second book, but you know, there's definitely um, hope with her romance with Morgan and she has a solid foundation of friendship with other folks like Gemma. But yeah, I did feel like it was darker than I had been anticipating. Not in a bad way, just different. Right. Not in a bad way. The house burning down really got to me too, because like, especially as you said, the dad dying and the house burning down because it's not like she can even walk through her house and remember her dad anymore. Like she has nothing and it shows her grieving like not a ton, but it actually like starts to show the grieving process, which, you know, is very powerful and definitely not what I would consider part of a beach read. I, I mean, I agree with you both. That thing happened, obviously. I think I read it with a much smaller impact than y'all did. It just felt like such a small part of the story happened so close to the end that, like, I don't know. I don't think it really informed the overall tone or mood of the book. So I think it did it really well. I don't think it dug into her grief and her experience with this a lot, because if it did, it would have been like the book flipped right at that point. And I don't think that would have worked. I don't think it would have made sense. Maybe, like you're saying, Jess, you're right, and it'll flip and be like her anger and vengeance in the next book, but I hope not, because I liked the tone and the mood of this book, and I think that if that is the direction they go with the other books, it would be not as enjoyable for me. Okay, so we keep talking about a second book, but we don't know for sure that there's a second book. Uh, there is a space for it on Goodreads that someone that means has it's real. created. That means it's real. <laughs> But we definitely could see the possibilities for future books. I am hoping there are future books. I would definitely read more of this book because I thought it was super fun and I thought it was great. And I do hope there's more because I want to see more of how this whole world fleshes out. Like, I want to find out more about the Blood Witches in New York City. and Right. And we barely know anything about casters. So we got to get some of those. Yeah. We got to learn about casters. We got to know more about Morgan's blood witchiness and... I think there's a lot more to go into, and I hope that we do. That's our show for today, friends. Thank you so much for joining us, Jess. Thank you again for having me. This was so fun. You can come back anytime. 
You can find Jessica on Instagram, Twitter, and at jessicaspotswood.com. You can find us at YA Cafe Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. And it's time, folks. Leave us a review on iTunes. Happy reading!